So over the, the, the past few weeks, uh, we had a survey both on our website and if, you're, uh, if you've ever given us your email address, uh, you received um, also in your inbox a survey and that was really just kind of gathering feedback and addressing uh, what you, our church family, wanted to talk about, what you wanted to have discussed this year. And one of those topics that gathered a large amount of really good feedback was prayer. And so today we are kicking off a new series that will first and foremost uh, show us how Jesus taught us to pray. And the next few weeks we'll continue by taking a look at how we can be intentional in our busy lives by carving out time to connect with God. We're also going to talk about how we can pray without ceasing is what Paul said, how we can pray constantly. And then last but certainly not least, we're going to take a look at how we can figure out if God is actually responding to us. I said last week, and I've done this, I'm sure you've done it, there's so many times in our lives where we'll go to pray, we'll be like, God, I don't know if I should do this or this, give me a sign, and God's like, you feel like you get to the sign, you're like, but God, can you give me a sign that that was the sign, and then I'll definitely do it, and then that happens, you're like, I, I just don't know what I should do, right? And so we all struggle at times with knowing, is God actually responding to us? And we're going to uh, talk how we can know with as much certainty as humanly possible that when we pray, how is God communicating back with us? But at the top of the series here, I want to make a statement that, that I hope will encourage all of us, no matter how strong our faith is or how weak our faith is, um, a statement that is encouraging to all of us, maybe no matter how comfortable we are with prayer or how confused and intimidated we are with prayer. And that statement is, nobody has a perfect prayer life, which puts us all on level ground. Nobody has a perfect prayer life. I've never had anyone tell me, like, I'm just kind of killing it at prayer, like, I've got the perfect prayer life. And we should be encouraged by this because I think people, even with the strongest uh, relationship with Jesus, can openly admit that, that they could be a little sharper in their prayer life. They could be communicating with God a little bit more. And certainly there's those of us who, who would willingly admit we really don't pray hardly at all or, or, or much at all enough in our spiritual life. And I think here before us is the opportunity, no matter where we are, to grow in this area. But no matter how prominent a role prayer currently plays in our lives, one thing that that we as believers must all agree upon is that, that prayer is vital. Prayer is vital. And it's a miracle in and of itself. I, I think maybe some of us will pray throughout the day, but sometimes we just need to pause and realize what prayer is. A prayer is the reality that there is this all-knowing, all-powerful, literally the creator of the universe, and he wants to connect with us. He wants to hear from us, and he wants to speak back to us. That, that's what prayer is, and it's mind-blowing when we actually consider it. The 8th Psalm uh, really fits that tone. It says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. But the beautiful reality is that God does care for us. He does think about us and, and he wants to hear and speak to us. You know, we simply cannot underestimate the power of prayer because prayer is to one's spiritual life as oxygen is to our lungs. Prayer is to someone's spiritual life as oxygen is to our lungs. Uh, our, our spiritual life is, is capped. It is limited, if not just completely lifeless, if our spiritual life is void of prayer. And thankfully, prayer is one of those things that, that Jesus talked about a lot. Uh, we're going to be spending a lot of our time in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, uh, we see Jesus preach a sermon. Uh, we call that his Sermon on the Mount simply because uh, Jesus is sitting on top of a mountain with his disciples. And out of nowhere, Jesus breaks into a sermon. My friends hate 
when I do that, but not Jesus, not his disciples, because they have the opportunity to hear Jesus in his sermon address several topics that were not just relevant to their lives right then and there, but we see in that sermon there's so many topics Jesus hit on that's relevant to this life that we are living right here, right now, 2,000 years later. And one of those topics is obviously prayer. And Jesus begins by saying, pray like this. And I really want to stress that, that middle word there. He says, pray like this. And what follows is one of the most commonly prayed prayers, both privately and publicly, you've ever heard. And I'm going to break some bubbles here, because some people act like this is the only prayer we should ever pray, but that's not what Jesus had in mind. The prayer we're going to cover today, when Jesus says pray like this, what follows was meant to just be a helpful example. It was never meant to be the rule. And in fact, two verses earlier in the same sermon, Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. He's talking about outsiders. He says, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. You've probably, in in some form or another, whether it's uh, through your own uh, spiritual life or whether through, you know, attending a funeral or whether maybe you you saw it, you know, in some kind of television show. But the prayer we're going to look at today is so popular. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It was not the only way that the Lord prayed, and it shouldn't be the only prayer that, that we pray either. You've definitely heard it. It goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil word. Now with these words, Jesus is just giving us a model of a very powerful model on how to communicate with God. And this is good news for all of us, no matter where we are on the faith spectrum, because so many people uh, they struggle to pray. They don't know what to pray for. And maybe when we finally do make time to pray, we, we sit there. We're not quite sure what to say. We're not in a good habit of praying. But we certainly today, I think, will benefit from how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And so as we begin our journey, and, and we're going to break down that prayer, uh, I hope that we see that as what is laid before us uh, can really teach us how to pray, no matter how old you are, how young you are. What Jesus outlines today is such a powerful model that you can learn from and apply in your life this afternoon, even if you want to. And so we'll take it from the top here. Jesus begins his prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, as best my research could find this week, God is either alluded to or described 950 different ways in the Bible. 950, 950. But when Jesus is teaching us to pray, he could have used any one of those names. Jesus could have used any one of those descriptions, but he specifically uses the name Father when he's teaching us how to pray. And the the Aramaic word that Jesus would have used there is known as Abba, and it specifically means like a nourisher or a protector. And so so the point being is that of all the words and titles that, that, that God is described as, that Jesus could have picked to initiate this model of prayer, Jesus specifically chooses a word that basically means daddy. In this culture, it was a name that highlighted that childlike kind of intimate affection uh, of someone's father. Now, I naturally, uh, as a father myself, I cannot help but to think that of the role I play in my my son's life, simply because my daughter is too young to speak. But when, when Ezra speaks to me, 
assuming he's had his nap. Uh, when he speaks to me, uh, he, it's with this warmth. Uh, it's with this affection. He'll, he'll crawl up in my lap or he'll comfortably come alongside of me and he'll look up at me and just say, Daddy? And the way he chooses to approach me, it shows that there's this respect between us. There's, there's trust, there's closeness. And he has a confidence in the role that I play in his life. And so he just comes up and he says, Daddy. And likewise, Jesus is teaching us here that we can respectfully but lovingly, confidently, no matter who you are of what you've done, you can come to the Father knowing that we are his dearly beloved children. We are so, so, so incredibly loved. The book of Hebrews gives us even more confidence in this. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Our Father in heaven. It's four simple words that we've probably heard so many times, but in those four simple words, Jesus is teaching us that a healthy prayer life is built on a relationship of intimacy. A healthy prayer life is built on having this, this close affection with God. And then Jesus goes on in his prayer and he says, hallowed be your name. Now, if I asked you, like, well, how often do you use the word hollowed? You beg, I've, I never use the word hollowed. And I get it. That's not a word that we use uh, often, but, but it means to be holy. It means to, to be greatly revered. Um, other than in this prayer, the only time, I, I'm a sports fan, so the only time I hear hollowed ever be used is kind of in the sports realm. Uh, you may hear uh, someone who's a big fan of golf, they say, you know, uh, walking the uh, Augusta National Golf Club, uh, which is where the Masters tournament is played, it's, it's like walking hollowed ground. Or you may hear uh, a baseball fan say, you know, when I went to Wrigley Field, when I entered those gates for the Chicago Cubs play, it was like I was entering hollowed ground. But when Jesus says, hollowed be your name, he's showing us that, yes, we as God's children, we can approach God with this affection. We can approach him with this closeness, but we must remember as we approach him that he is holy. Now, what Jesus is doing here with this statement saying, hallowed be your name, is he's, he's kind of cleansing uh, our expectations in prayer. And it's not going to be the last time he does this either. Now, hallowed be your name. It's, Jesus is saying, you got to understand that like, God is not just some genie in, in a lamp that's going to grant you whatever request that you want. No, he's not going to do that because he is holy. So yeah, we can come to God uh, comfortably and with this affection. We have to keep in mind that uh, we may be asking him to do something that he's not going to do because it goes against his holy character. It doesn't matter how many times we ask it. It doesn't matter what we're asking for. If, if that's not holy in nature, then God's not going to honor it. Uh, author Albert Moeller writes, when Jesus petitions, we're saying when Jesus prays God to hollow his name, He's asking that, that God act in such a way that he visibly demonstrates his holiness and his glory. Now, not to, to, to highlight my relationship with my, my son too much, but the other night he was having trouble sleeping. And he, he was a great sleeper for a long time, and, and he's waking up in the middle of the night quite a bit now. And so uh, I laid on his bedroom floor after I placed him back in his bed. And I uh, dozed off a little bit, and then sometime, I don't know exactly when it was, something like between 4 and 5 a.m., um, he woke up, he, he crawled out of his bed, he came down, and I, he's never done this, he laid like body to body, nose to nose with me, as if he, I thought, are you going to sleep? What is happening? And I'm glad that we have that closeness. I'm glad we have that type of intimacy. Um, it was a special moment for about three seconds. Um, because then he grabbed my face by both sides, stared me in the eyes, and so confidently said, Daddy, 
I need a popsicle. And I believe to my core, right, that my son genuinely thought he needed a popsicle in order to sleep. I truly believe that he really thought, this dad, I need a popsicle. Like, you want me to go to bed? Give me, give me sugar. Like, I believe wholeheartedly that's what he thought would help. But he doesn't see things the way I do, right? Even though I love him and I really do, I will not go against my nature as a good father and provide my child with something that isn't best for, for him or her. Right? It doesn't matter how, how cute I think my kids are. It doesn't matter how many times they ask. It doesn't matter how creatively they ask. I'm not going to provide them with something. I'm not going to give them something that's not best for them. And we have to understand that God is, no matter how we pray or how clever we think we are with our words, God is not going to go against his character as being holy, as being hollowed. He, he's a good father, so he's not going to do that to us either. You see, by Jesus praying, hallowed be your name, Jesus is teaching us that a healthy prayer life is built on holy expectations. Holy expectations. And then in verse 10, he prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, undoubtedly, in my, my opinion, this is the, the hardest part of Jesus' prayer that he invites us to, to adopt in our prayer life because uh, your kingdom come and then right there, your will be done. Uh, with these words, Jesus is teaching us that a healthy prayer life is built on accepting God's plan. Sometimes it's really hard to accept God's plan. You know, in theory, it, on paper, we would think, you know, if we have this close affectionate relationship, a trusting relationship with a holy God, then, well, surely it, would, it should be easy for us to accept his plan. And I don't know how perfect your life is, but I found in my life that it's not always easy to trust his plan. Your will be done can be some of the most terrifying words to pray at times, because when we say, God, your will be done, we are essentially confessing, God, your thoughts about my life matter than, more than my thoughts about my life. When we say your will be done, we're basically saying, here's the reins. I'm going to trust where you're driving my ship. Uh, your will be done. God, I'm, I'm trusting you with the decisions of my life more than my own thoughts or feelings about what I think is best for my life. That's tough. Uh, your will be done. God, I want this relationship to work out, but your will be done. I'm accepting your plans for the relationships in my life. Your will be done. God, I, I'm tired of the loneliness. I want it to, to end, but I'm trusting you with the future of my life. I'm trusting that you know what's best for me. Your will be done. God, whatever it is you have going on in your life, the, the addictions, the changes, whatever it is, God, I need your will be, to be done, but, but wherever you're, you're taking me, I'm just gonna blindly trust you. Maybe one of the more difficult ones, your will be done. God, I, I want to be healed. I need to be healed. I, I want that loved one to be cured. I want their pain to stop, but your will be done because your thoughts are not my thoughts. God, your ways are higher than my ways. How about this one? Your will be done. God, I don't know why my children are making the decisions they are. This isn't how I raised them. But God, you're the greatest parent to ever exist. You're the greatest father to ever exist. So I'm going to trust your wisdom more than I do my own. So God, your will be done. And I tell you what, prayer is so easy when we're asking God for our will to be done. Boy, it's so easy when we think that, that prayer is just inviting God to be a part of our decisions. 
But a healthy prayer life is built on trusting God for, for his will to be done. Now, certainly like any child should, should, should do with their, their father or their parent, we, we should approach God with our wishes. We should approach him with our desires. He wants us to be the authentic individual that he created us to be. But it's incredibly important and essential in our relationship with God, in our prayer life, that we give him a chance and we give him the reins to do what he desires, what he thinks is best. And hear me out. Some of the most amazing followers of Jesus I've ever met in my entire life, they had the capability and faith to pray for God's will over theirs. In my time of just working with, with hurting, broken people, I've seen so many people who are up against just impossible odds. They're fearful, they are lonely, they are diseased, but it's amazing because these people in such a tough situation, they're never hopeless and they're never helpless. They pray for good things, yet their faith is untouchable because they live with this faith that even if they don't get what they want, they're going to get whatever it is God has aligned and they're going to worship him nonetheless, no differently. And if there's anything I want in my life is a faith like that, a faith that is untouchable. A faith that if God's will is done and not, and I don't necessarily want that will, but I'm like, all right, you know more than I do. I'll take whatever it is. I want a faith like that, and that is a faith that we see Jesus had. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before his death on a cross, Jesus, the, the perfect, holy son of God, but yet he was fully human, he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And as we know with what happened to Jesus shortly after on the cross, that it was God's will that was done. But keep in mind, as beneficiaries of Jesus' death and resurrection, you and I are living proof that God's will over anyone else's can bring some of the greatest blessings into our lives and into the lives of other people. And so it's so important that we get to know God as a good father and we trust his holy ways. And we need to do that if we're going to be able to accept his plan for our life. Now, certainly not everything that takes place in our life or on this earth is, is the will and desire of God. This is such a fallen, dark, scary world. So in Jesus' prayer, he also invite, invites us. He says, your kingdom come. He's saying, God, God how, can, how can I bring your kingdom here? And that's something that we need to be willing to pray as well. God, how can, how can, I, how can you use me to bring a little bit of heaven to this place? Because helping establish God's kingdom here in this world is the most significant responsibility that any of us will ever have in our entire lives. The most important thing we can do is be solely focused on loving God and loving people and then moving forward, trusting God that he will take care of the rest. Which is why Jesus goes on, he invites us, he says, pray like this. And he says, give us today our daily bread, which is a real bummer for you gluten intolerant folks out there. Um, but, but in all seriousness, when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, uh, what he is showing us is that a healthy prayer life is built on trusting God with our needs. And it's easy when you read that, you're like, oh, so it's just about food. No, no, no. Uh, regarding this prayer, Martin Luther once stated that in Jesus' day and age, he says, bread was a symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. 
So Jesus' prayer is about much more than food. It's about saying, God, I'm trusting you with everything I need in my life. The apostle Paul tells the church in Philippi, he says, and this same God who takes care of me, Paul's boasting here, he says, the same God takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. In God, we will get all we need. We may not get all of our wants. And I think that's really difficult for for us, as blessed as we are in this country. I think it's really difficult to differentiate between our wants and our needs. But Jesus is saying, don't you get, you can pray that that in God, God, I know I'm going to have all I need in you. You're going to provide everything for me to live the life that you designed me to live. We may not get to live the life we want to live. But we can pray to God and say, God, can you provide everything that I need to live the life that you've designed for me? I know that sounds easy in theory, but there's a lot of us who life is just wrecked. It's, it's stressing us out. There's probably things that we're saying, no, no, this is a need. I, I, I need something in my life. I need this to change drastically. And, and some of us, maybe we've been praying that for a long time and it seems impossible. Uh, by our human function, it seems like it's not going to happen, unlikely, but Keeping this wisdom in mind from the book of Ephesians, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God wants to provide what is necessary for you to live. All you have to do is have faith in his provision, faith in the fact that he's a good father. And you can move forward knowing that he's going to provide everything you need. Maybe not everything you want, but everything you need. Then Jesus is also teaching us that a, that a healthy prayer life is, is based on forgiveness. And I think when, when we as uh, believers or people who are even just, you know, interested in faith, oftentimes when we think of forgiveness, we, we think about just the forgiveness that we need to seek from God or that God gives us. But, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's a two-way street. Because Jesus prays, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As it pertains to our life right now here in the momentary, but also our life for all of eternity, forgiveness is one of the keys to absolute freedom. Forgiveness is one of the keys to absolute freedom. And so first let's talk about uh, that, that, that first part that Jesus prayed, forgive us our debts, talking about how we can seek forgiveness from God. In John's first letter, it's towards the very back of our Bible, he says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Now, contextually speaking, John was battling people who thought they were genuinely perfect. They thought they didn't have any need for forgiveness. And in essence, they were rejecting God's statements about their sinfulness and denying their need of, for forgiveness. Well, something powerful happens when we go to God and we seek out our forgiveness. When we go to God and when we admit that we are sinful, yes, first and foremost, God honors his word by forgiving us, but something we, we don't think about a lot is that God then gives us the power to overcome that sin, overcome that struggle, overcome that imperfection that, that's just been rampant in your life. This is why Jesus tells us in prayer to every day, every time you pray, here's a good model, ask God to forgive you, forgive your sins. 
Now, certainly, Jesus' one-time death is enough to, to overcome all of our sins, but as imperfect individuals, we need to daily go to God and say, forgive me for my sins, because that forgiveness is the key to freedom. But then the other side of the coin, I think the one we don't think about most often is that uh, forgiveness is about us forgiving other people too. It's not just about God forgiving me, this imperfect soul. It's about us looking across the landscape in our lives and forgiving other people. That's why Jesus says, also have forgiven our debtors. We have to, to strive to actively forgive other people as God has forgiven us. Jesus didn't mince words about this. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Now, I admit to you that for most of my teenage years and most of my adult life, I had little joy, even though I would preach about it, because I carried so much weight from the way that people had hurt me. Uh, they, they deeply hurt me. And I bought into this, I think sometimes we, we make forgiveness sound like this because it sounds prettier than what reality is, but I bought into this kind of, I don't know, big Christian lie that forgiveness means you go right back to that person and you set yourself up for hurt time and time and time again. And I wasn't willing to do that, so I wasn't willing to forgive these people. But finally, somebody showed me, no, you can still forgive somebody and not set yourself up for failure. You can forgive somebody and move forward in your life. You can take that weight off your shoulders without providing them the opportunity to throw it back on. And once I really understood that's what forgiveness is. I found so much freedom that I was missing in my life. And, and no matter what baggage you brought with you here today or you're sitting with at home, it, you're not going to find real freedom until you truly forgive others just like God has forgiven you. And it took me way too long to understand this is why God, this is why Jesus told us forgiveness needs to be part of your prayers. And lastly, Jesus closes out his prayer by reminding us to ask God for his protection. He specifically says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus teaches us to seek God and to help us through life by protecting us from the times that the enemy intends to harm us. Now, regarding that enemy, the book of 1 Peter says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think one of the, the things that shocks me most, most about people who live with faith, people who have a faith in Jesus, is how little they seem concerned about Satan. Now, we should not be grossly obsessed with, with, with Satan, right? But it shocks me how little people think about Satan in their day-to-day. And I, I get it because I, I think that it, when we don't see his activity, when, when we don't see Satan prowling around like a, like a real threat to our lives, we think out of sight, out of mind. And, and hear me out on this. I, I'd venture to say that is where any predator wants their prey. Just cluelessly unconcerned. But Satan is indeed real. And you have to understand that, that he opposes every good thing that God has planned for your life. In Jesus' wisdom, he has this wisdom to say, you need to be praying for protection. Because one, God is the only one who can protect us from Satan's schemes. But when we go to God and we ask for protection from Satan daily, there's something 
that happens in that. And what I think happens is when we're constantly going to God in prayer every day saying, God, just protect me from Satan. I know he's out there. He's going to be on the forefront of your mind and you're going to start seeing these traps laid in front of you. You're going to start seeing these unhealthy conversations you shouldn't have. You're going to start noticing behavior that is leading you away from the the plan that God has for your life. When we pray for protection, when we pray against temptation, what we do is we're constantly reminding ourselves that there is an enemy out there who wants to take the good things God has planned for us. So, So this is the Lord's prayer. This is what we need to cover. I originally wrote this as a class. And so if you're a note taker, I hope you took a lot of notes today because this is the Lord's prayer. This is what we had to get through today. And and I really think that as we move forward in this series, it's going to help us learn the very powerful but necessary uh, discipline of prayer. Um, but I want to give a word of caution um, as we close out today. Um, the best way to learn to pray is not by reading a book. Okay, that's, that's not the best way to learn to pray. Um, the best way to learn to pray isn't even by hearing a pastor preach on prayer, whether it's me or, or some pastor who's far better and far more articulate than I am. That's not the best way to learn to pray. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. The best way to, to learn how to start talking to God is start talking to God. And so I want to challenge you this week just to set aside five, maybe ten minutes each day and just use this outline, use this model of prayer that Jesus gave us. And, and you, you don't have to merely re- repeat this prayer. Please do me a favor. Don't, okay? Don't just recite the Lord's Prayer, right? Be yourself in front of God. But, but use this as a healthy outline to build a stronger prayer life. A prayer that is built on the foundation of, of a relationship of intimacy. A prayer life that's built on holy expectations. A, a prayer life that's built on accepting God's plan and trusting that good Father God with our need. A prayer life that, that keeps forgiveness in focus. And, and both sides of the coin, don't, don't go to God just seeking forgiveness you know, for, for the ways you screwed up. Use that as an opportunity to, to beg God to soften your heart, to forgive the people who have hurt you. And certainly, as we drove that nail home today, ask for protection. Let's use our time together over the next four weeks to build that healthy prayer life. Let's pray together now. God, it escapes me at times just how wild it is that we speak, you listen. There's no waiting room. There's no reservation. You love us enough to be there right when we need you. God, we had measured so many of our closest friends and relatives through the lens of listening. We say things like, oh, that person's always been there for me. They, they listen when I need it. And God, I think sometimes we forget that you do too. God, undoubtedly, a lot of us, we're, we're all over the spectrum of how confident and comfortable we are with, with talking to you. But may we just be encouraged that whether we fumble over our words or we just sit with you and don't have anything to say, that, that that's powerful. That's intimacy. That's connecting with you. I'm personally thankful that that your perfect son, Jesus, he comes into this world and he teaches simple-minded people like me how to communicate with you. It wasn't all about memorization and this, that, or the other. You didn't need a degree to pray. Jesus simply says, hey, pray like this. So God, I'm thankful just for that simple model that shows me how to connect with you. It shows me how to have a healthier prayer life. God, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for loving us. I know you're desperate to connect with us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. 
Amen.